thank you for joining us for the next episode of ACE GP Training. My name is Priya and I'm a GP ST4 working in Hertfordshire and over the next few months I'll be joined by some incredible guests with the aim of helping you to not only ACE GP Training but also to guide you as you start work as a fully qualified GP. We would love to hear from our listeners so please do get in touch by leaving a comment or review through your podcast provider and that will help us tailor future content but also help others find us too. I've put our details in the bio if you want to email or contact us through Twitter. Welcome to another episode of ACE GP Training. Following on from our discussion last month, today we'll be focusing on exploring our well-being and other opportunities during and after GP training. To help us with this discussion, I'm thrilled to be joined by Susie Clark, who is the Primary Care Workforce Programme Lead at Bedfordshire, Luton and Milton Keynes ICS, and Dr. Zaid Alnajar, a practising GP with a keen interest in clinician well-being. A huge hello to you both, Susie and Zaid. Hi, Priya. Hi, Priya. Thanks very much for having me. Hi, Susie. Hi, Zaid. I was really keen for both of you to join me on this episode because I know you've both have integral roles and also a huge interest in maintaining clinician well-being. So I'd really love for you to tell me more about your roles. So Susie, tell me a bit about your role in the training hub, because that might be something that our listeners are a, a bit unfamiliar with. Yes, of course. So As you kindly introduced me, my role is primary care workforce program lead for our integrated care system. That also incorporates what's called a training hub. Training hub is the Health Education England name for basically what is a quite significant comprehensive program of work, looking at how we support our primary care workforce with recruitment, retention, CPD development, um, health and well-being. So lots and lots of initiatives and activities going on focused on, on all of those elements. And it's multidisciplinary. So it's across the board, ranging from our GPs to clinical pharmacists, physicians, associates and our admin and clerical staff. Oh, wow. That's, uh, it sounds like a complex role. It must keep you very busy. Absolutely. Zaid, so tell us about your background and also because... I know you do work with practitioner health and some of our listeners, again, might might have heard of it, but not be too familiar with what it involves. Sure. Yeah, great. So my name is Zaid Alnajar. I'm a GP by background, but I am my main role really now is as medical director of NHS practitioner health. And for those who don't know it, we're a national organisation which treats not just doctors and dentists anymore, but we're open to healthcare professionals who suffer with mental health and addiction issues. So we offer services across England and um, also in Scotland. So we started off in London back in 2008 and we as a small as a small outfit and now we expanded nationally so that's my main main role that's great. And I think you also have a medical legal background. Is that right? That's right. So before I came to practitioner health a few years ago, I, I worked for many years as as, um, as a medical legal advisor for a medical defence organisation. So that was uh, really dealing with healthcare professionals like with the legal medical legal aspects, which often cause distress. Uh, so it, that led in quite nicely to working with healthcare professionals with health issues, and many of them also have links with you know 
problems with, with complaints, investigations, GMC problems and other regulatory issues. So there's quite a lot of overlap between the two, the two roles. So that's definitely something that I'll be picking your brains about later on (laughs) in our discussions as well. So I think in both of your roles, you must see firsthand what the challenges facing GPs are at the moment. And I guess in particular, particularly, you you must get contacted a fair bit about sort of concerns that newly qualified GPs may have or even GP trainees and I was wondering what you feel you both feel that the main challenges facing you know newly qualified GPs or GP trainees are. Susie do you want to kick off? Yeah of course and and absolutely in our role so we do a lot of work with our vocational training schemes so spend a lot of time going into the training schemes and in, and doing um, some development work with our GP trainees we also and this will be the case for most systems and when i say system for us that's Bedfordshire Luton and Milton Keynes each of us have a dedicated GP lead for GPs that are newly qualified or, or early in their career. So there will be, as a starting point, that one per single point of contact that you can, as a, as a GP trainee or a newly qualified GP, get in touch with. So there's that link there in terms of mentorship. So we do get quite a lot of intelligence from our GP trainees in terms of what they perceive to be the challenges, which is really helpful for us in terms of being able to respond to that. What I would say is, you know, I see, I think workload is is something that does feel quite daunting. It's also not necessarily knowing where to turn for some mentorship or peer support. Also, I think, you know, what's wonderful at the moment in general practice is the breadth and depth of all of the different roles that we're now seeing working across the teams. But that, again, can feel a little bit like, well, where do you start in terms of understanding all of those different roles and and how you can work as much more of a multidisciplinary team now than ever before. So while absolutely, I think there are those challenges and, you know, feeling maybe a little bit isolated unless you've got the right connections, It's never been a better time, I would say, in, gosh, the past decade in terms of the support that GP trainees and newly qualified GPs can access. And I think my recommendation for that would be as soon as as you're kind of thinking about what you might want in terms of support, it's connecting in with your early career GP lead and your training hub. And every system across the country has a training hub now. And you can find out the details of that from Health Education England. And we have a plethora of offers that are tailored specifically to supporting GP trainees in the in the ST3 last year about thinking what's what's the next stage, what's the next step. We've got mentorship opportunities, coaching opportunities if you want to really start to get in, into the depth of where you think your career might want to end up. And also there's a program called the New to Practice program, which is a fully funded program. All newly qualified GPs are eligible to join it. And what it enables you to do is access lots of development opportunities, be it quality improvement, leadership development, understanding population health management a little more, but also funded access to mentorship. So we typically have a bank of very experienced GPs who very happy to mentor our newly qualified. So that's there also, along with funding to release 
provide backfill to really tap into some educational opportunities or whether or not you want to shadow in a different part of the system in a different organization so whilst yes the challenges are there I would say you know gosh so much to tap into as long as you know how to do it so it's really about making those connections and each of the integrated systems as well also have what's called a keeping well hub so it's a funded for the entirety of the workforce to access free counselling or be signposted to services or, or wellbeing initiatives that are most appropriate for those colleagues. So, so there's an awful lot out there. Yeah. I'm just wondering, Susie, you mentioned the new to practice scheme. Is that purely something in your ICS or is that in every ICS sort of nationally? It's a national programme. So wherever you are in the, in the country, there will be access to that. Yeah. And it's for newly qualified GPs and newly qualified practice nurses. And what we found, particularly in our system, is we try to do a lot of work in a multidisciplinary way, be it you know, at the beginning of your career, mid-career or end career, because it really, you know, encourages that lovely multidisciplinary culture and that way of working that we know is absolutely critical to reducing the workload for our GPs. So it's building those relationships, understanding each other's roles and, and you know, bouncing off each other. So no one feels like an island. Yeah. And I, I think the way general practice or actually even medicine is going now, I think you're spot on that multidisciplinary team is going to be key in the progression of general practice and the NHS. So yeah, we need to learn to work together more. And there's so much that we can learn from each other. Zaid, what about you? What do you think are the sort of challenges facing GPs? And I guess in particular here, thinking about GP trainees and newly qualified GPs. Yes, thanks, Susie. I'm really happy to hear about all those resources. I was just thinking back to when I finished training, it was, there was really nothing nothing like that available and it was just an off you pop and good luck went on to to find your next next job up when you qualify as a GP but back to what's affecting GPs and GP trainees well what I see at practitioner health really it well workload is it one of the the recurring themes it's the volume and intensity I think of the of the workforce are facing at the moment with the backlog following COVID also the I think general practice is more far more complex than it used to be. So when I again when I qualified, I think the things that we're seeing in general practice now are just more complex. A lot more come expected to, I think, operate with more complex issues than you would in my past need to deal with in primary care. So there's that. I think with COVID there has been a degree of isolation. I think and also don't forget the trainees have been working through working through this pandemic and a lot of general practice has changed massively so whereas everything used to be face-to-face or nearly everything used to be face-to-face a lot more is done remotely and that's a very different way of consulting also the, the issues of with isolation I think trainees particularly can be placed in areas they don't know people they don't have networks all that stuff can be really difficult to deal with when you're trying to pass exams and get to grips with a with a specialty so I see burnout a lot on the registrations that I review at practitioner health. People cite burnout an awful lot now. It always used to be an issue, but I, I find that far more reported now than it used to be. And I think it is just cumulative. People are a bit tired after after two years of, of a very weird time. I think patients are 
found it difficult to access the care that, that they traditionally may be used to. Then there's, there's then there's the there's the more political issues, so the, the chronic underfunding and and also a lot of negative media reporting. I think really again I see that recurrently. I think people become very really quite affected by some of the reports in the media when really they're trying to do their best on a day-to-day basis. So it's multifactorial. It is great to hear about the support available to to trainees. I know in our organisation we operate a specific trainee doctors and dentist service for trainees in London, Kent, Surrey and Sussex for those doctors and dentists who aren't unwell but need more support. So, so there is lots of support out there but I think trainees don't necessarily know that it's there so it, it's that's an important message if there is support there you just need to find out no Zaid, i think you're completely right because you know i'm a trainee i'm not a new trainee and i still don't know what the different support resources are so i'm aware of practitioner health but even i don't know exactly what each training hub offers etc so i'm hoping that this discussion will open our eyes a bit and just at least help trainees be a bit more aware as to what's out there if, if and when they need it. And I was just wondering, so Zaid, with practitioner health, so you mentioned that it's open to not just doctors, but other clinicians as well. Is that right? That's correct. So you may not be aware, but across the country, again, during the pandemic, NHS England opened their commissioned mental health and wellbeing hubs. And there are, I think, 40 plus hubs across the country. And any healthcare worker can access those hubs for mental health support and one of the avenues by which those practitioners can access our services via those hubs so if those hubs feel that they are unable to meet the needs of that practitioner in that area and they feel that we could add value then they have a referral pathway into us so yes potentially any healthcare worker could access us but the first protocol would be at the mental health and well-being well-being hubs nationally, but doctors and dentists uh, can come to us directly. And let's not say healthcare, other healthcare workers can't come to us directly. They can, and if we feel sorry, if we feel that we can help them, we will we generally we will accept the referral. Okay. Again, see, I didn't know about these these well-being hubs. So, say if you know I was a trainee or a doctor in need, how do I practically go about referring myself to either a well-being hub or to practitioner health? You know, do I have to ring up? Is there a website? What do I have to do? Yeah, there are websites. So, if you wanted to, there are different hubs or up and down the country. And the easiest way to find your local hub would be to uh, you can do it via our website or you can just google nhs staff mental health well-being hubs it will take you to the different links to the different hubs across the country and they have a self-referral process you can, you can do that online or you can call and with practitioner health we have a, a website and you can it's all self-registration so we don't need uh, referrals for doctors and dentists you can self self-register and that can be done on the website, or if you have difficulty with that, then you can call us or email us and we'll help you through it. And just sort of whilst we're talking about practitioner health, what, what are the sort of range of services that are offered? So, you know, is it psychiatry? Is it psychology? What does it cover? Yeah, we treat many common mental health conditions and some more complex ones. So, for example, we may come across a GP trainee who's really struggling with anxiety and maybe generalised anxiety or maybe anxiety specifically related to exams or related to making decisions related to patient care because some doctors are paralysed by anxiety because they're worried about, about making errors, about complaints. So 
that sort of stuff is very, very common for us to deal with. And for those people, what happens is we assess every patient that comes into our service. They're considered death in NDT. And then if a, a treatment plan is formulated, that might be just some case management with one of our clinicians to kind of take you on that journey, get you through a difficult time. It might be medication. It might be talking therapy. But it very much depends on what we're dealing with. And it's always an in case by case uh, consideration. Yeah. Sounds fantastic. And I guess it goes without saying that everything's confidential, because I guess that might be in the back of some doctors, trainees' minds that, oh gosh, is my supervisor going to find out about this, etc. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the, the backbones of the service. And one of the reasons it, it was created is because doctors, uh, dentists, healthcare professionals do actually ironically find it difficult to access healthcare. One, because they are worried about confidentiality, because it's such a small world, you know, you know, seven degrees of separation, much less than that in medicine. You know someone who knows someone who knows you or in smaller areas, your GP might be your neighbour or your friends. It can be difficult to access confidential care. So with our service, we're not connected to the NHS spine. It is completely confidential. We don't share information without uh, explicit consent with third parties, unless, for example, we were very worried there was a public interest to do so. Uh, so in very, very, very rare circumstances does that happen. We have memorandums of understanding with all healthcare regulators because they're aware that it, it's in the interest of the public and, and our patients them to access confidential care. Because there is often worry about, you know, is this going to be an issue which will put before the GMC? And the GMC really aren't interested in, in cases where where doctors are seeking help and, and taking advice. You know, as long as you're as long as you're seeking help, you're following advice, you, you want to, to get better, GMC really isn't isn't bothered. Oh, that's that's great. Um so that's not bothered is not the right word. It is <laughs> I was just going to say they're not interested in yeah. investigating cases yeah. cases like that is what, what I meant to say. No, it's okay. I I understand and I'm sure our listeners will understand as well. Susie, I've been really impressed at what your ICS does with regards to wellbeing. And I've seen that you do wellbeing workshops, not just for doctors, for, you know, administrative staff, non-clinical staff. Tell us more about those workshops as well. Yeah, sure. So we were very fortunate to be successful as being one of 14 pilots across the country and received some funding to devise our own bespoke health and well-being um, provision. So it's it's aligned to the to the Keeping Well Mental Health Hub that um, Sarah has talked about, but we focus slightly differently. So very early on went out to our staff and said, what is it that you're missing? Because there is a plethora of offers out there, which sometimes can be a bit overwhelming. Um, but what, what's been so lovely is that we've been able to survey our staff and then respond to what they've said they needed. And it's just been fantastic. You know, the engagement, particularly over the past kind of three to four months, has really ramped up. And we run predominantly virtually at the moment, but all sorts of um, range of webinars, be it difficult conversations, conflict resolution, mindfulness, yoga, whatever. There's a whole spectrum of things that people have told us that they really want. But what's been absolutely delightful in the past couple of months is that we've been starting to be able to go out and do face-to-face -face work. So the team have very recently gone out to a practice 
on their kind of protected learning day and spent a whole day with the entire practice doing mindfulness, team development, relationship development, meditation. And, you know, it's just been wonderful. So those kind of things, you know, what we've found now is people don't want to sit in front of a laptop anymore. You know, we've all got laptop fatigue. So whilst, you know, virtual webinars are handy to dip into, actually what people want to do now is see each other and be face to face and, you know, the magic of actually being with your colleagues. So we've got a walking group set up. We've also acquired an allotment for staff to go and just sit or, you know, have an away day, a team day, or do or do whatever they would like to do in terms of vegetables and growing. So those kind of things is what we really want to sustain because it, it means that you've got the peer support, you're getting those connections across your community, but you're actually out and about and doing something quite different, so shared interests. And tonight, in fact, we've got our first ever BLMK virtual book club, which I think is pretty well signed up to as well. So I think, you know, we've really tried to focus on community and that sense of community and then that perpetuates then that sort of peer support and that sense of togetherness that we know is the one thing that can help with all of the challenges that they're facing at the moment. Yeah, it's made me slightly jealous, actually. <laughs> I think I, I might want to be part of um, your ICS. But it's also made me think, oh, gosh, I need to look up to see what my ICS is doing, because maybe they're doing this and I just don't know about it. So that sounds fantastic. And I think I actually saw on, on social media the away day that you were talking about. So say if there was a practice locally within your patch that wanted to take part in or have you guys come over and do a well-being sort of session or day how would they would they just sort of email you get in touch that way to to get it organized so and I think it's been fantastic that video there's a kind of an extended version of that but we've gone round to all of our practice manager forums to share that so immediately it's almost the floodgates are opening which is brilliant because actually it's very you know it's very economical I mean obviously it's my team's time and, and you know they can't be everywhere at once but the actual session itself is minimal cost related you know it's just kind of bringing the right people with the right skills in into to spend that time and yeah it's been phenomenal and, and we see it as a bit of a social movement for us across our ICS because there's a lot of things that we've done over the past few years that are drip drip but when you bring it all together really does have that kind of societal movement you know feel to it so we'll keep going. Yeah no please do I think we need more of this honestly I'm very pro doing these almost like these extracurricular activities because I think it's just so good for the soul and for team building as well. Zaid and Susie, to be fair, but probably more so aimed at Zaid. Obviously, you've mentioned a bit about complaints at the beginning. Do you have any sort of top tips for trainees? Because a lot of trainees may not have had a complaint. And as a newly qualified GP, you know, when you get your first complaint, I guess it's It can be earth shattering, I guess. Do you have any top tips for dealing with complaints? I do. I think the first one is please don't panic and please don't respond. So when I say please don't panic, it's because at some point in your career, you're going to be, you're more than likely to be subject to a complaint. And it's just part of the parcel of working. I think in any 
any job where you're you're dealing with other people. I think it's just it, that's life. I think in healthcare, it feels more personal, and it feels it, it feels worse. I think because there are potentially devastating outcomes which can lead to a complaint. So, and also remember that medical students nowadays, I think, really it's such a high a high bar to get into medical school. I mean, I, I wouldn't get into medical school now, I think, if I applied based on the criteria. I think medical students, you're not used to being told you're not good enough, you weren't perfect. So I think there's element of that as well in there. And it can be really quite traumatic when you receive your first complaint. But I think the message to take home is that you're definitely not alone in that. We all have or will be subject to a complaint at some point in our career the majority of which can be sorted out if dealt with correctly. And one of the ways to not deal with a complaint directly is to respond quickly. So when I receive a complaint or our organisation receives a complaint, my advice would be sit on it, reflect on it, and then deal with it. So don't press the reply button and send an angry response because it can feel, as I said, it can feel very personal and it can feel like a real attack on on your professionalism and your ability as a as a clinician so don't take it personally or they may feel personal don't respond quickly take advice because there are others who, who've um, navigated complaints successfully and that's also why you have a defense organization because it, that's bread and butter for them to advise on complaints so if you're not sure ask and there's there's an art to dealing with complaints as a way to respond and to try and to try and um, get through them without uh, without too much upset. So take advice early and don't respond until you've done so and don't take it personally. Yeah, I think that's really useful advice and probably something that I can not just use professionally, but possibly personally as well. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. And Susie, if you were going to give a top tip for a trainee, you know, thinking about maintaining well-being, what would your one top tip be? Remember that you're absolutely not alone. There are many, many people around you or organisations or connections within the system that you end up working in that will support you. I do think, and I think Zayed said it earlier, healthcare professionals are often not the very best at looking after themselves. So I think it's really about making sure that You've got peer support and you reach out and, and talk to your training program directors because they will know the resources that are out there and will be able to signpost to the training hub as well. Thank you so much. And I think I could keep on asking you both questions and talking about this, but I know that our listeners will be really grateful and have a lot to think about from what you've said. I think what I'm taking from our chat today is you're not alone. <laughs> Don't panic when you get complaints. And also, I'm just, I just feel so much more aware as to the resources that are there and about how to access them. So thank you so much to you both for, for joining us this afternoon. I hope uh, the rest of your day goes smoothly. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. And thanks, Zaid. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Priya. what we've discussed has prompted any thoughts or questions, please do get in touch by leaving a comment, dropping us an email, or finding us on Twitter at AceGPTraining. And I'll include these further details in the bio, as well as some extra resources for you to look at. 
Thank you and see you next time for the next episode of Ace GP Training.